Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Every boys and girls getting down on the phone. Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour, your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. First Saturday of the month in this June already. June is dairy month, and we've got Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, in talking Air Z Dairy, if you're following along the talking points and hashtags in our homeowner handbook, an annual publication we put together, kind of outlines the broadcast along with maintenance items around your home castle or cabin and the first saturday of the month here in the outdoor living hour we're trying to connect you the arizona homeowner to our local farms ranches and where our food and produce comes from because uh, the more we can produce and provide for our own the better off the state is and it's a 23 billion dollar industry julie you've brought a guest in with you Yes, I'm so excited. One of our female farmers, uh, Jen Milliken with Stoats Dairy. And uh, they are a generational farm family. And we're going to learn all about them. And not only them as a generational farm family, but some of their sustainability practices, conservation practices at the dairy, and all sorts of things. So, Jen, welcome to the Rosie on the House show. She's hanging out with me and the whole Romero family. At least half the family's here, right? <laughs> and so we always start with kind of the background questions so we can learn more about you. Tell us about Stoats Dairy. Tell us about your family and how you got into the dairy business. Yeah, okay. So my dad started the dairy with Ferenc Rostosi um, in 1981. Uh, it was back out, way out in Buckeye when the freeway didn't even connect um, and when my dad told my mom that they were moving to Arizona to start a dairy and it was off a dirt road and the 10 didn't even go all the way in, she was like, where are we going? And she was a forestry major. So, um, that wasn't, I think on her life plan, but it worked out. Um, I was born a couple, two years later and dating myself there, but, um, grew up on the dairy, lived on the dairy my entire life, um, worked on the dairy every summer, school breaks. That's partially how I paid my way through college, that and 4-H projects. Um, and then at one point I called my dad and told him the, you know, cause he kept on, what do you want to do when you're older? What do you want to do when you're older? And I was like, you know, I think I want to take over the dairy someday. And he's like, well, that's fun, but you have a brother who's already going to be doing that. Think of something else. And so that was, you know, it took a couple years and I cycled through vet, maybe nutritionist, maybe finally decided I'd be a banker. Why not? And so I went to work for Wells Fargo for, well, I think I was there five or six years in commercial banking. And then I had my oldest daughter and quickly decided that putting her in daycare every day was not my idea of what I wanted to do with my life. And at that point, um, we, my family had bought a second location. It was a dairy that had gone into bankruptcy and they bought it from the bank. Um, and my dad had been calling me weekly telling me how they're having, you know, startup issues and he could really use some help out there. And then when my oldest daughter was born, it turned into daily phone calls of, I really need to come back and help him run this dairy. And also I'm ruining his life and my mom's life by withholding their oldest grandchild and which was their <laughs> only one at that point. And how I dare I? <laughs> and so it turned out, um, got a new boss at Wells Fargo, wasn't really vibing with the, she wanted us to start working 12 hour days which I was not a fan of, given that I had a one-month-old baby. So 
um, put in my notice and moved to Arizona. And you are still putting in 12-hour days and Well, more. <laughs> now I'm putting in 12-hour days, but at least it's doing something I really like. Yes. So. I, I love how it happened serendipitously. It wasn't like a generational, oh, I'm definitely going to go in the business. So what happened to your brother? <laughs> yes, that's a is great this question. Is a Cain and Abel um, story happening again here? What, what, where did he there go? There was a rock involved. <laughs> no, um, my brother was managing the dairy. He was like the head manager, and I was mostly managing the calf barn. Um, I had two more kids after that, so I was managing the calf barn and then picking up the projects that nobody else wanted kind of thing. It became the joke of if there was something on the dairy that nobody really wanted to do or had time for, just go ahead and throw it to Jen. And my part-time job quickly became kind of a full-time job. And then um, my brother at one point decided that he needed to move to California because his wife's dad was looking for somebody to help him with their family business and his wife really wanted to move back to California and you know the saying happy wife happy life so that was what they decided to do and my dad at that point turned to me and said hey remember that conversation we had in college about how you um you know you're a girl and you have a brother and well um never mind you're welcome to (laughs) managing the dairy so I mean like you said serendipitously and I didn't like And I think part of the reason why I love it so much is because I had to fight so hard to get it. And I talked about that at one point where they had me as a guest speaker at a Farm Bureau thing. And somebody asked, leadership conference. Yeah, the the leadership conference. And it was like, somebody asked, you know, how did you decide to go back into the dairy? And I, you know, I would like my kids to do it and I don't want to force them. And I was like, oh, the best way to make them want to do it is to tell them that they can't do it. At least that worked for me. You told me I can't do something and then that's the only thing I want to do. So, and because of that, there's been a lot of things over the course of years that the your family and your family's name is Thompson. Um, your dad partnered right with so um, there's a lot of things over the years and decades that you've done. Talk about some of your sus- sustainability practices and your conservation practices. So one of my favorite sayings is that dairy farmers are the OG environmentalists because we're tied to the land. Like it's very important that we make sure that. The land is um, sustainable, that we're treating it right. I mean, moving cows is hard. Building a new dairy is expensive. If we ruin where we're at, we can't just pick up and go somewhere else. It's really hard. Um, I tell everybody that. So we actually started doing a lot of sustainable stuff even before it was cool. Um, And, like, one of the things that we started doing that a lot of people think is awesome is we feed all of the expired produce or like produce that's not good for like it's too ugly or it has a bruise or something like that so all of the sam's clubs and walmarts in the area put all of their expired and ugly produce in trucks and they ship it to us and we feed it to our cows wow and well actually we feed it to the heifers because there's fun fact for you if a cow eats like a garlic then it could possibly make her milk taste like garlic. <laughs> so we can't feed the produce to the cows, but we feed it to the heifers and they love it. But the point is they're getting their vegetables. Yes, they are. And their fruits and all kinds of fun stuff in there. But um, actually, uh, we calculated it around 40% of what we feed our cows is byproduct of the human food chain that would otherwise have ended up in a landfill. So wow. cows are awesome recyclers. They, because of the four parts of their stomach, And the way that they're ruminants, they can digest stuff that other people, you know, no other animal would be able to. And they can make use of it and keep it out of the landfill. Yeah. It's the the structure of a bovine and what they 
can eat versus what you and I can eat. We absolutely need them in the food supply chain. So uh, that strikes me. Are any other dairies then using... I'm not sure if other dairies are using but the you're produce. Definitely but doing it. There are, I mean, other almond holes is a big thing. Um, when an almond, you know, that's kind of the joke is that almond milk or sorry, almond juice is what I call it because it's not milk. Um, when it's produced, there's a lot of leftover trash, right? There's the shells and the holes, and normally it'd go into the landfill. But at some point, somebody realized that cows could eat it. Um, and now the joke is, how many almond shells does a cow have to eat for you to be able to call her milk almond milk? <laughs> um, but that's something that a lot of dairy farmers use. You what? know, cotton what? gin trash is another one. All the um, leftover from the cotton when they make your clothes is gin trash, and that's something that cows can eat. Now, I- when you say they make their clothes, I'm just trying to picture the whole chain because we have a lot of cotton, obviously, in Arizona. Right. We've covered it in the Farm Fresh broadcast before. That's trash. It's it's not like the cotton shipped away to the mill and then the trash is coming back. This is like the harvest trash. So yeah, this tra- is you're getting it from the neighboring farm. Um, yeah, it comes from all over, but um, it's like the seed and the part that that was I don't know too ugly or damaged or full of dirt or sticks that they couldn't turn into cotton for clothing. They ship it to the dairies and the cows eat it. Uh, they're eating machines. You have caused me to conclude that the, a dairy cow is an eating machine. What about your watery, water recycling efforts? Yes. Um, so we try and make sure that we are very sustainable with our water, like, I mean, especially in Arizona. And I just saw something about how, you know, they're saying our 100-year plan is possibly in doubt. So we're making sure that we're very sustainable. Um, we reuse all of our water, I think, up to six times is what I, we figured out at one point. Um, because we're using fresh water at the milk barn, obviously, because it's a food production site. So we need to use fresh water. And we use fresh water to wash down the calf barn because the babies are small and we don't. But all of the cow pens, when we use the flush lane, it's all recycled water. Um, we will use the recycled water to flush out. Um, we then screen it to get the solids out. We use the solids, which is the manure for fertilizer. Um all of the water goes into our lagoon, which is actually a methane digester, and we produce enough energy there to power around 500 Arizona households. And um, when the lagoon, we have to maintain a very stable water level there. So when it you know, starts getting a little too high, we use the water then to water the crops that are on the land around the dairy. So everything So is... every drop of water that we use, we're using it to its full potential. We're using it to wash the barn and then we're using it to wash the pens and then we're using it to make electricity and then we're using it to water the crops that the cows will be eating the next year. And those whole recycling efforts are pretty common across the dairy industry, but I just it just seems like Stoats, you guys have really maximized on some of these conservation efforts. Um, it strikes me too that our dairy families, where we get our milk and our dairy, are really working at trying to find those other opportunities to maximize on things. Uh, I have almost been at Arizona Farm Bureau now for 17 years. When I first started, there were a handful of dairies that were doing the methane digesters in Arizona. We have quite a few more since then, correct? I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm curious. Our dairy and Triple G were the first two, I believe. I mean, somebody's probably going to call in and tell me I'm wrong. But (laughs) us and Triple G were the first two that put in methane digesters. And partially, that's because we are 
a quarter mile away from some generating thing where they could tie in and it was really easy. Um, it's and then a, it's called a transfer station. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I, now, I know cows. I don't know electricity. How, how big a pond do you need for a methane digester to power 500 homes? Is that a quarter acre? A uh, hundred acres? No, how I think it's it? what, if I remember correctly, and my dad's probably shaking his head at me right now, it's seven acres. Okay. Pond. I was just curious. But, um, since then I know a couple other dairies, Paloma dairies put in one, Caballero dairies put in one. Um, I think a couple other people are talking about it. Well, I woke up this morning, looked outdoors. I can tell my milk cow, I can tell by the way she lows. If you see my milk cow, please drive her on home. The Outdoor Living Hour here at Rosie on the House happens the first Saturday of every month, connecting you. The Arizona homeowner with the local commodities coming off of our farms and ranches right here in the great state of Arizona. Julie Murphy, spokeswoman of the Arizona Farm Bureau, is our host. And her guest today, Jen Milliken of the Stoats Dairy. And Jen, my son has a, a question for you about cows. What He wants to know if you know what do you call a cow with no legs. Ground beef. Very good. <laughs> I could bring it, dude. I know cow jokes, all right? All right. Do you, okay, the, give one back to him. He's listening. Let's oh. see if he can get it by the time we get to the next uh, programming segment. <laughs> um. She might have to. Uh, there, there's a joke I have. I don't know if it's appropriate for okay, radio, well though. Then. So I'm going to go with, um, what do you call a cow if you, or what do you get out of a cow that you've whipped? A cow that you've whipped? Yeah. All right. Think about that, Remy. We'll, you'll get your chance to answer after the news break at the bottom of the hour. <laughs> Even though later on I'm going to ask you about uh, humane handling of cows. <laughs> we, and disclaimer, we do not whip our cows. Yes. That is not acceptable <laughs> behavior. This is, is a joke this only. This is just a joke. No whipping of cows. So what do you think is the most significant contribution the dairy industry has made to the state's agriculture? Uh, we can speak about dairy products, and uh, the last time we focused on dairy, I had Tammy Baker with the Arizona Milk Producers out here, and we talked a lot about nutrition and the variety of products that are local. That's what's so neat. But what about the contribution to Arizona agriculture in general? Um, <clears throat> well, specifically, I'm not sure exactly how many people are hired, but, I mean, I know that UDA is one of the biggest employers in Tempe, and all of the dairies out here, I mean, we hire a lot of people. We have around 160 employees that work just on our dairy and farm. Yes. Uh, so we, it's just a huge economic contribution to the state, not only how many people we hire, but all of the products that we sell too. Um, Fairlife Milk, it, or the, they, sorry, Fairlife, the company, um, they moved one of their, their bit, their first Westside plant into Arizona because they were, I guess, the biggest thing was what good quality milk we make out here. Right. Everybody's always surprised that Arizona has dairies because of how hot it is. And I'm like, well, it's really only really hot for like four months out of the year. And we have big coolers that we can use for the cows. Like we have big evaporative mist coolers. Um, there's either shade trackers or crawl cool. I have a picture that I put on the internet at one point that... I don't know. They said it went viral. I don't. It did go viral. And it's like the outside temperature, I think, was 111, and under the shade temperature was 67. Yeah, 67. So and people were commenting, like, you guys keep your cows colder than I keep my house. And it's like, well, the cows are the ones that pay the bills. And if they want it cold, they get it cold. But the big thing about cows is that they don't like it wet. 
And so um, because wet means wet pens, means they're laying out in puddles, means that they start getting sick. So um, Arizona is actually a great place because, I mean, excepting last winter, which was, you know, fun. And, you know, every couple, however many years it takes to get an El Nino. Other than that, Arizona is a very dry state and cows really like it when it's dry outside. Usually our average production per cow outstrips what some of the other Midwest states can do. Yeah, we get a pretty good high production per cow. Yeah, and uh, again, it's a lot to do with our environment. The other thing is dairy and beef kind of rotate in the top spot in our ag commodities in the state of Arizona, averaging anywhere, in the case of dairy, 600 to 700, all the way up to 800 million in just cash receipts. That's not counting all the other economic contributions, like you were mentioning, labor, how many you employed in the dairy industry. And and just to give props, props to some of the major organizations that you're part of it, the United Dairymen's Association, the Milk Producers um, Arizona Milk Producers, those are two of the key groups that really are front and center with the dairy industry and making a big difference. And because of this competition between the beef industry and the dairy industry, and again, dairy alone is contributing that either anywhere from 600, it varies, 600 to 800 million in cash receipts. It's also important for us to recognize that the dairy industry is contributing to quote unquote the local market. If we don't have Dairies situated in Arizona, obviously, we're not going to have local milk. And we need kind of that location issue with dairy. So, you know, talk a little bit more about the local market and why it's so important. So from what I understand, all gallon milk sold in Arizona is local milk. And it's less than 48 hours from farm to grocery store. And because milk is 87% water, it's expensive to ship. So it's just, it makes more sense to have the dairies local because then you save on the shipping and also milk since it's perishable and, you know, it's just better to have it local. But um, I don't think that dairy and beef are really in competition because dairy is beef at the end of the life. I mean, that's That's part of what makes cows so awesome is that they can milk through their life and then they have a retirement plan that also benefits us. You are correct. Very good. We have Julie Milliken in from the Stoats Dairy, and we've got Julie Murphy with the Arizona Farm Bureau. We're talking AZ Dairy today. More after this. Put dairy in our cup. That's what's up. Nutrients, protein, strong bones. Yup, singing. We will. We will milk out. Talking AZ Dairy here with Julie Murphy, spokeswoman for the Arizona Farm Bureau, and her guest, Jen Milliken of the Stoats Dairy. And everyone wants to know, Jen, what do you get when you whip a cow? Whipped cream, obviously. Uh, (laughs) Whipped cream. (laughs) So, okay, I got one more for you, and it came up because of the beef thing. So a farmer has three cows on a trailer, and he stops by the office on the way to take them into town. And the three cows start talking, and the first cow goes, oh, it's obvious that I'm the farmer's favorite cow because I'm the most beautiful cow. I won a contest, and he's taking me to get my picture taken to put on the front of Beautiful Cow Monthly to show everybody what the best-looking cow in the world is. 
And the second cow looks at her and goes, you're crazy. I am the farmer's favorite cow because I make more cow than any cow in the world. I am obviously his favorite because I'm making him the most money. And he's taking me to the lab so that they can sequence my genetics to find out what it is that makes me the highest milk cow. (laughs) And the third cow looks at him, both of you guys are crazy. I am the farmer's favorite cow. And they look at her and she's old and her udders down to the ground and her teats are pointing in different directions. And I mean, blown out hogs, it's just... It's a mess. And they look at her and they go, how could you possibly be the farmer's favorite cow? And she goes, I heard him talking. After he drops you guys off, he's taking me to McDonald's for lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So nothing is wasted in the food cycle chain, right? (laughs) So Uh, like I said, dairy and beef kind of go hand in hand. They do. I shouldn't use the word compete, but it's kind of fun because I kind of am a little bit geeky about the economics and it's kind of fun to see, okay, who's... At the top of the leaderboard with the ag commodities for this year. And a lot of times dairy ends up being at the top. Um, Talk about animal care in the industry. Yes. um, Animal care has absolutely become a hot button. Um, Actually, this week I am flying to Washington, D.C. because I got put on the Animal Health and Wellbeing Committee that we talk about the farm program, which is Farmers Assuring Responsible Management, which is where farmers are self-regulating. We come up with different standards that are requirements that dairies participate in um, that assure that cows are not being mishandled, that we are taking care of their well-being, that, you know, the cows are our most important asset, obviously, and it actually pays us to treat the cows right because a happy, healthy, comfortable cow will make more milk. Um, Cows that are stressed out, that are sick, that are abused, um, they make hormones, like, that stop milk production. So it absolutely pays to make sure that we're having happy, healthy, comfortable cows. Um, We put on a lot of continuing education on the dairy. Uh, We just put on a maternity class because our heavy calving season is going to start in a couple of weeks here. So we had a maternity class, and in every class, the rule is that first you talk about, you know, what you're talking about, whatever the class is, maternity, calf barn, milkers, breeding, whatever. But then you also talk about employee safety, making sure that everybody's doing everything as safe as possible. We don't want to have any injuries, accidents, whatever. And then the most important thing is we always talk about cow well-being, that we need to make sure that whatever we're doing is in the cow's best interest and that if anybody ever sees anything bad, you call me, you call your supervisor, you make sure that you're telling. And, I mean, we do not allow for any abuse on the dairy. This is... A good segue to ask about Arizona Milk Producers Adopt a Cow program because you were taught – a lot of what you just said was education for your employee team. But we're also pivoting to really helping our community understand, you know, and get connected to the dairies. So what's this program that Arizona Milk Producers has launched? Uh, it's actually – no, um, it was a program that started back east in Pennsylvania – It was really small. I heard about it somehow through Facebook and asked them if I could do it. And that was back when it was only in Pennsylvania. And they were like, um, no, you weird Arizona person. Why are you calling us? We're in Pennsylvania. And then 10 years later, I'm getting a call of, hey, this program that they started in Pennsylvania blew up and it's all over the country now. And they finally reached the West Coast. And hey, do you want to be the first West Coast dairy farmer and adopt a calf? And I'm like, 10 years later is my time to shine, you know. So what it is is every year I pick three or four calves um, that are, you know, the most photogenic calves that were born in the week period that we have to pick. And I take pictures of them every week. I weigh them, measure them, and write some fun facts about what's going on with the cows. And I send it in. 
and they package it into like a really cool, they put in, I guess there's core learning standards in it and they'll send it to all the classrooms so that the teachers can teach the kids about agriculture, you know, and then I filmed a video at one point that's like 20 minutes long. My kids think I'm famous because if you search Jen Milliken on YouTube, you can find my video of me doing a dairy tour for everybody. <laughs> I love it. Um, my son especially, he just he's way into YouTube. And when I he looked my name up one time and found the video, and he's like, you're a YouTuber? And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm famous, son. <laughs> so I got some street cred with him there. But um, I love it because there's like a thousand classrooms in Arizona that adopted calves from me. And they send in all cool letters and they drop pictures and send them. And um, I was at the fair and I took them one year to the fair, the adopted calves, and kids were coming up and they wanted to take their picture with the calf and they were so excited about it. And I love because so many people just like, you know, milk comes from the grocery store. And this kind of puts more of a, you know, they're learning about agriculture from somebody who actually knows about agriculture. Right. Uh, it's boots on the ground. Jen, you have become an ideal spokesperson for the dairy industry, certainly here in Arizona. Oh, um, I don't just know about that. But. Props for Arizona Farm Bureau's Ag Education Program. They actually have a dairy kit, and I know that uh, our director, who's in charge of ag education at Arizona Farm Bureau, Katie Akins, has actually worked with Arizona Milk Producers and the United Dairymen's Association stuff. So we're all in the business of trying to inform and connect with the public on such an important thing. And now I'm in a good segue. So we talked about dairy husbandry and how careful you care for cows, but we care for the consumers as well. Talk a little bit about the industry. I know that every tanker that gets to the co-op, United Dairymen's Association, every tanker is tested, correct? So talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, that's another committee that I'm on for UDA is I'm on the quality committee. And absolutely, every tanker that comes in before it's allowed to unload gets tested to make sure that the milk doesn't have any antibiotics in it, that it meets our quality standards. UDA has a lab. Um, all of the other major bottlers in the state, or every bottler in the state has a lab. And before the milk is even allowed off the truck, it has to meet our very strict standards. Um, and we, as a co-op, incentivize the dairy farmers that are meeting the standards. And the better you do, the more you get paid for your milk. So, like I said, it pays for you to keep your cows happy, healthy, happy, healthy, and comfortable. It also pays for you to make sure that your milk is the highest quality possible. And, you know, I've got to give props to Tammy Baker, one of our nutritionists, and all of our nutritionists in the dairy industry. Uh, we've got to make sure we talk about the nutritionally uh, val nutritional value of dairy products. Um, talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I saw the other day um, on Instagram, I think, something about of all the different milk and milk alternatives that milk is actually by far the greatest bang for the buck. I mean, somebody was talking about how you can always go in and get a gallon of milk and it's like three fifty a gallon. And it's got what the nine essential nutrients in it. And it's just one of the most affordable ways to provide nutrition out there. Um, I went to Cal Poly and there was a big sign up at one point that um, milk is actually the most nutritionally complete food except eggs, but only if you grind up and eat the shell. And I mean, I guess I'd rather you drink don't? milk than eat the shell. <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe it's weird. 
But their shell is a little crunchy, so I kind of stay away from that. I guess I'd rather drink milk to get my calcium than, you know, ground up eggshells. But so, we do eat our eggs for breakfast with our dairy products. <laughs> I do eat eggs. I have chickens. I love eggs. So yes. It's a side project. But It is incredible to, to me that I can go to the corner grocery store 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and buy a gallon of cold, fresh milk for three fifty, four bucks. When I get a tour of the dairy and I think, how many, how many cows would I have to buy to start a dairy? And I look at the investment of the property, the, the steel-railed corrals, channeling corridor, travel corridors, the shade, the fans, the misters, the milkers. I think, wow. It's, uh, it's a big it, capital investment. It, it's got it. How many cows would I need to go start a dairy tomorrow? In Arizona. Well, in Arizona, um, dairies here are a little bit bigger than in the rest of the country. Um, Right now, we are milking, I looked up this morning, 9,001 cows. um, And we have total, including young stock, around 17,592 as of this morning, plus or minus whatever we're born. Um, But I, I mean, there are smaller dairies in Arizona, but I think the smallest dairy probably milks around 1200 cows in Arizona. Like I said, I'm on some of those national, the national board I'm on and they always use me and there's an Amish dairy farmer and they always use us as the examples of when you're writing the rules for the farm program to, you know, assure responsible manage, you know, care of animals that you have to write these things that will, you know, be okay for the Amish dairy guy who has 10 cows in a tie stall barn and also the big Arizona dairy that has, you know, almost 20,000 cows and you have to write the regulations that'll work for both of them. And I mean, there's as many different ways to dairy as there are dairies. So Mm. it's just, but I mean, there are obviously things that you are right and wrong. And there's definitely things that you need to do to make sure that the cows are being treated right. And they're not hard. It's just, you know, you need to make sure that you're doing them. Speaking to the numbers, and you may know them, if you don't, our UDA buddies need to text us. I mean, we used to average what, maybe a decade or two ago, about 100 dairies in Arizona. That is no longer the case. Do oh, you know what any is of those it right numbers? now? Um, I saw it, yes, uh, at the last board meeting. I think there's like 64, 65 different locations in Arizona. But And, I mean, but we have, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard because it's like we, I, we consider it Stoats Dairy, but we have three different producer numbers sure. and, you know, two different locations, but with multiple different milk barns. And, you know, there's families that have a couple of different dairies. So, I mean, I think we're down to like 35 dairy families with around 65 different locations. Which sometimes seems a little bit scary, but the encouraging thing, because of your nutritional practices, your husbandry for over the decades, you continue to increase the production Per cow, and then of course we do have large dairies. So we're actually producing. I mean, on a nationwide basis. Again, you may know the statistic. I know when Wes Kerr was here, he had mentioned it. He comes from a dairy family in Buckeye. That we're actually producing more milk with much fewer dairy cattle than we ever used to. So there's some interesting statistics to that and. Agriculture, because of our efficiencies over the the decades, we continue to do so. We have less land to do our agriculture on, but we're producing 
way more than we used to about a, even 40 years ago. So there's some interesting statistics to that point. Oh, yeah. I mean, nutritional advances have gotten us way high. Um, we artificially inseminate all of our cows, and we are always choosing for higher milk production. So, you know, the cow, you know, 20 years ago, her great-great-great-granddaughter is now making a lot more milk than her just because of genetics. And we helped them to reach their full potential by making sure that we're feeding them right and treating them right. But, yeah, like, there's going to be fewer cows but more milk per cow. No, we get that thrill, hey. Milky, milky, milk, hey. Gotta have it every day. Milky, milky, milk, yeah. Always have it in his cup. Well, Julie, Jen, as you, as you discovered, uh, our, our programming engineer can find a song for any topic. I was wondering where uh, he's getting all these songs. Uh, yeah, I have not uh, heard these. You, you never even heard I all not. these cow and uh, dairy jokes. Uh, two things about the cattle industry in the world. I've got, I've got a milk joke. I want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, you can't name a topic that I don't have a Cajun joke on. And this is a Cajun joke. <laughs> and Marie, she come home from the casino one night, and Boudreaux there sitting at the chair watching his TV. And oh my goodness, he noticed that woman, she got cash dropping out her wallet. She got cash dropping out her purse. She got cash dropping out her pockets. Marie, you hit it big tonight at the casino shop. Oh, Boudreaux, I did. And I want to do something all the rich people do all the time. I want to take a hot milk bath. <laughs> I, would, I want that more than anything right now. Boudreaux said, well, yeah. I'll take a fistful of that money. I'll go buy you milk. I'll be right back. He'd run out the door and he'd slap his head. He'd say, oh, I forgot to ask her. He'd run back inside. He said, Marie, do you want that milk pasteurized? She says, oh, no, she had just up to my chin. <laughs> <laughs> I love, we've had some good jokes today. That's funny. So... Um, there's plenty of milk jokes, and I'm sure our <laughs> listeners have some of their own. Jen, what is the most important message you regularly share with Arizona families about what you do? Gosh, I think it's just what I've been talking about, that, you know, dairy farmers are taking great care of their cows. We're making sure that the milk is the best quality milk that you could possibly drink and that it's a great source of nutrition. And that's something I had wanted to ask you. you know, there's... A lot of information out there and a lot of people doing different things. And when you, when you get into the kind of homesteading content that's available, one person was saying, you know, that you need to have your own dairy cow because if you go and buy it from the store, it could, you know, one gallon of milk, you could have parts of milk from, you know, up to 800 different cows. And like you said, you guys have 9,000 cows and they're all eating and drinking the same thing. So I'm like, what? I don't see a problem here. <laughs> so first of all, the people that want to get their own cow, I'm like, good luck to you, sir. Because um, milking a cow twice a day, every day, no matter what, like, uh, it's hard. And especially if you're going to do it by hand. I milked a cow by hand one time just to say I'd done it. And it was not enjoyable. Like, milking machines are a lot better. And, I mean, yeah, we have a lot of cows, but we have a motto on Stoats Dairy. It's kind of our defining motto. It's treat every cow like she's your only cow. So when you're making decisions about a cow, you're doing it as if she was your only cow. Um, we're making sure that, you know, every cow feels like she's special and an important part of the dairy because she is. And so, I mean, yeah, we're 
mixing the milk of all 9,001 milk cows into the tanker every day, but every cow is being treated right. The milk is being treated right. And I mean, I don't think that it's an issue. And honestly, we hire people that have been trained. We have vets on staff. We have nutritionists. We have, you know, we're treating the cows right. We know what we're doing. We're probably doing better than, I mean, I have random people that are contacting me on Facebook. I bought a cow at the auction and I don't, it's doing this thing and I don't know what to do. And I'm too cheap to call a vet. Can you just tell me what to do? And I'm like, God, can, can you just let the dairy farmers handle it? Like we, we know what we're doing. Just let us do it. Okay. Yeah, you've hinted at it a few times, but you've never fully come full circle. You mentioned uh, at the beginning stages when your dad's like, your brother's taking over, go find something else. And you talked about veterinarian school. You talked about going to college at Polytech. Cal Poly, yeah. And you, w- w- was it veterinary school you were taking over there? Was it ag school? What, what was I, your... I ended up getting a um, two degrees. I started as a dairy science major and then between I got I had a um, internship with a nutritionist company because I kind of thought vet for a while, and then my vet was actually the one that convinced me not to do it because he said I was too short. Um, so then I was going to be nutritionist, and I got a um, internship with a nutrition company, and quickly decided that that was not the life for me. So the summer between my junior and senior year. Uh, or it was like our last class, we had somebody from a bank come and talk to us. And I was like, I guess I'll try that. Why not? And so I ended up deciding to double major in my last year. And I think your senior year is when you're usually supposed to coast. And I ended up taking like double classes that year to make sure I got the double major in so that I would be hireable. So it was a fun last year of school. But yeah, it sounds like a finance major. um, It was ag business. So yeah, I ended up double majoring dairy science and ag business. But I mean, it's not wasted. It's good because now I know more about finance and, you know, a lot of agriculture is dealing with the banks and loans. And I kind of have a little bit of a background in that. That's so interesting. Jen, you're a true spokesperson for the industry. You're involved in Farm Bureau. You're involved in the Arizona Milk Producers, UDA. I mean, in a phrase or a couple sentences, why is it so important for you to be so involved in these organizations? You um, know, we, we've been through this whole hour, and Rosie, you... I'm surprised you haven't asked about the one milk you like so much. I did off air. Oh, you did? <laughs> I off did off air. Yeah, he did. I, I did. Full disclosure. I, I did. I asked off air. We still haven't. Don't <laughs> yes, have... he asked me why we don't sell whole buttermilk in Arizona, and I didn't the realize that that was something kind. that people drink. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yes. That must be a southern thing. I Yeah, never heard of it. I use it for baking, and he's swearing up and down that you know you'll never see a doctor again if you drink whole buttermilk. So gastroenterologist. I'm just a dairy farmer. I'm not a processor, so you can let the processors handle that. Now, in preparation for this show, I watched a movie about cows, and it was the best movie I've seen in one year: the biography of Temple Grandin. There you go. That is a movie I would recommend to every single person. It was awesome. Support, Jen, thanks for joining. Us. Support local agriculture, azfb.org, and you can sign up for a $60 a year membership with come, that comes with huge benefits on top of the fact you're supporting local ag.